Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hello, teacher friends. We are here today to talk to you and probably to some parent friends as well. Um, we have today with us, it's just me today. Lori had to take a little a little break as we've all needed a little break recently. So she had to take a little break. So it's just me, Melissa, here today with our friend Molly Ness, who we've been talking to for a few months and we finally got together to have a, a real conversation with. So Molly, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, well, in my current life, I am a teacher educator. For the past 15 years, I have been an associate professor of childhood literacy at Fordham University, which is um, a graduate school smack in the middle of New York City. Um, prior to this, I was a classroom teacher through Teach for America and um, earned my doctorate in reading education um, from the University of Virginia. But probably most importantly, um, not only am I a Baltimore native, I went to, um, grew up in Baltimore, <laughs> spent 20 years there. My folks are still there, went to college there, um, named my child actually after my favorite Baltimore Orioles um, player. My daughter's name is Callie in tribute to Cal Ripken. That's amazing. Um, and <laughs> my other big role is I am um, a, um, a parent of a rising fifth grader now trying to negotiate the whole challenge of amusing, entertaining, and, you know, trying to do home education for my kid while I navigate my own professional challenges as well. Yes, for sure. Right there with all of us. Um, and Molly, we actually got in touch with you because you have your own podcast. Um, so as podcast partners, um, on similar topics, we we have a lot of to talk about. So, do you want to talk about your podcast real quick? Sure. So, I run a podcast. It um, started in July of 2019. It's called End Book Deserts, and the mission of it is to bring awareness to um, the huge challenge around book access and equity. Um, the term book desert came out in 2010. The source is a little bit unknown. Um, but um, book deserts are areas of geographic, um, are geographic areas that in which books are either hard to come by or scarce. Um, traditionally, they were in our low income areas. And I've now sort of broadened my look um, to look at um, sort of under-resourced populations, um, kids who are who don't have access to books in their home schools or communities because either they live in areas of rural isolation or they are um, incarcerated youth or their parents are deployed or what have you. And the statistics are pretty compelling. If you um, look at book access just nationally, something around the, the number of 32 million kids lack access to books in their home schools or communities. And this was all pre-COVID. Um, so that number um, has to be on the rise. Just the fact that so many of our kids, their only points of access for books are either in their schools and their libraries, their public libraries or their school libraries or their classroom libraries. And obviously as those are being shuttered, um, book access is even more of a pressing issue. So in the podcast, I, um, 
I interview all sorts of people and programs who do really innovative work to get access, um, kids access to book and um, build reading culture. So everything from a grassroots organization um, to large corporations like a first book or um, you know, some of the other big ones um, to really come around this idea that if we want kids to be lifelong readers, the first challenge we have to overcome and really address is access. And we just can't assume that um, kids are going home to shelves of books. It's, it's really not the reality. Yeah, absolutely. So that's great because we wanted to bring all your <laughs> expertise together, um, particularly, you know, as a mom, um, we we have all talked, me, you, and Lori, about the challenges of being home with our kids um, here in our quarantines. And we had we had just been thinking about like, you know, one of the things you want your kid to do is to read at home, right? But um, that's not necessarily always easy, right? I was a kid who loved picking up a book and reading at home. It's what I did, but um, that's not the case for everybody. So we're thinking really about parents and like, how do you get kids who are now home for three months from school, now maybe at home for the summer, not at summer camps like they normally are, maybe they'll be home with you in the fall too. <laughs> um, like what can we, like how can we help parents to like spark some love of reading, joy of reading? You talked about access, so it might be a little bit of all of those things. So what do you got? <laughs> well, I, um, I always, um, when people who know me always, I think they, they think I, I keep it real. I am not somebody who, um, will tell you like, Oh, things are going fabulously at home. My <laughs> fifth grader is like tearing through a book. Today. Like, let's be real. It's not happening. Um, and you would think that just because of my background and because of my understanding of the research and stuff that, um, I have the magic recipe. I don't. Um, so <laughs> I there with every parent who has struggled. Um, I will. Molly, I have to tell you real quick too I have, I have a one and a half year old and I still like he I just feel like he doesn't read as much as he should be or I don't read with him as much as I should and I still like I feel guilty all the time because I'm a literacy person so I feel like we should be reading all the time but we don't always <laughs> you know what? it's funny because I write all these articles about how um if you look at the statistics um read alouds at home um typically decline when kids hit third grade, third and fourth grade. It's this, mm -hmm. this, this phrase that we call the decline at nine. And when this research came out, my daughter was nine years old and I was so aware of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to keep reading. And um, <laughs> we, it could go better than it has been. <laughs> I will say a couple of things um, other than, first of all, um, being kind to ourselves and realizing that, um, there will be times when reading is rich and plentiful, and then there will be times where it's a struggle. Um, I will say a couple things that have worked in my house. Number one, I think we need to broaden our vision of what it means to be reading. Mm -hmm. And um, by that, I mean one thing that has worked really well in our house is audiobooks. So we don't necessarily have that sort of tender, right before bedtime, snuggle up and, you know, read Charlotte's Web or what have you. Let's be real. I'm, first of all, I'm a single parent and I have a, um, a very high energy translation, um, often challenging child. Um, and by 
or by 8.30 or 9, like I'm tapped out. I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, so the idea of like snuggling up and making my voice sound animated and all that, like sometimes it doesn't happen. But what does happen is we are constantly listening to audiobooks and we have a home speaker that when we are unloading the dishwasher and even when my daughter is taking a bath and when we are putting the groceries away and just doing all of those household things, we have a book going and that still counts. And so I want us to be mindful that, um, Reading doesn't necessarily have to look like what I think we have in our minds of this right before bedtime sort of thing, um, particularly parents who um, have are like me and that night they're just tapped out. Let's be creative around how we do that read aloud. Could it be in the bath time or could it be? I do that sometimes. <laughs> it's a lot of parents I know also do it um, when their kids are in high chairs, um, sort of strapped in because you kind of have this captive audience. Yep. <laughs> um, and so I think we need to be creative around that. Um, when my daughter and I do read, Read together. We actually read in the morning in bed. She is an early riser. She'll get into my bed at 6.15 in the morning and I'm not ready to deal with the world yet. So that's when we will do our reading together. Um, I will drink my coffee. She'll read a page. I read a page. So I think we need to get away from this if we're not doing it like all of the parenting books um, tell us, <laughs> that it doesn't count. Um, yeah. So I will say audiobooks are great. Um, the other I can do, real quick, sorry. Um, can you talk a little bit about like why? Like why, why, why is it in- important you know it feels some sometimes I almost feel like this even knowing why in the back of my head I feel like it's a just thing I should do or you know like it's like taking your vitamins kind of thing like oh we know it's good for you can you talk a little bit about the like well what does it do for kids to even hear an audiobook or hear the read-alouds Sure. Um, well, so I will say that the body of research around the benefits of reading aloud are is so rich and, and, and plentiful. Um, my favorite resources for parents who want more of this is um, an, a website called readaloud.org, which is great. Um, and then the book by Megan Cox Gurdon, which I believe is called The Enchanted Hour, is really a really lovely, lovely book that just came out. She's a Washington Post journalist and um, raised her five children. I don't want to say better because that is a qualifier and I want to get us away. Um, But she did a lot more reading aloud with her children than I happen to be doing with my current (laughs) child. Um, And she really explores the benefits of read alouds. And we start to see some interesting things. First of all, we start to see we now have brain research, which can actually look at the neurochemicals, um, neurochemical activity in the brain as we are listening to books. And we start to see that um, things like there are more dopamine um, being released, which is a, a, a you know pleasure associated with pleasure. So we start to see like brain activity, which to me is crazy cool. This is where I geek out a little bit. Um, we know so much about the read aloud being a way to give kids access to vocabulary and to um, just background knowledge that they may not otherwise have access to. So um, particularly as we think about our younger readers, our second and our third grader graders, the work that they are doing to decode their individual text, they just can't get to that some of the sophisticated vocabulary um, because we're using level text or um, we're using controlled vocabulary. So there's so much going around with um, vocabulary and um, and comprehension when kids are, are read to. And then we also just know all of the sort of warm and snuggly things that reading is a bonding activity. Um, there's a really fabulous study out of University of Virginia 
in which a researcher created three different, she went into the NICU, so medically fragile babies that were prematurely born. Um, and she looked at babies in three different conditions. Um, there were babies who were very, very medically fragile and their parents, um, obviously these children were in incubators hooked up to all sorts of medical devices and parents didn't really know how to interact with their, their children because they were nervous, they're so fragile and such. Um, and so what they did is they whisper read to their babies for five minutes. And these were the most medically fragile babies. And then they took kids who were almost where they should be in terms of their growth and development, but they were about to leave the NICU. And they did more sort of normal read-alouds, um, you know, normal voice, a longer stretch of duration. And we found really interesting stuff. We found, first of all, that babies, um, their heartbeat slowed and also their oxygen levels, their blood oxygen levels increased. So we literally see health benefits to these babies. And then we also saw that the mothers experienced lower rates of postpartum depression and were then more likely to bring out, um, to, to continue those reading habits at home. So I, when I think about that, like as a linguistic person, as a literacy person, we can talk about vocabulary and comprehension and exposure to print and all of that stuff. But when you start to tell me like we can see brain activity and we can see literally medical things happening, that to me is really super cool. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to share those resources. I share them a lot when I talk to teachers and parents about the benefits of reading aloud. Um, the other thing that I will say, um, what we know about encouraging home reading is um, the acronym ARC, A-R-C. A being access, so kids need lots of access to text. And um, you know that gets into some of the work that I've done around my End Book Deserts podcast. Mm -hmm. um, R is relevance, so kids need to be choosing, um, kids need to be reading books that are relevant to, to them. And this is where, and then I'll, I'll give you the last one and I'll sort of tell a personal vignette. The C in that acronym is choice. Um, kids need to be choosing books that are relevant to them and are of the, their choice. And here's where I sort of chuckle at myself because I think it's, um, it sounds really easy. And then I think, um, I know that it's something I grapple with. So for example, my um, fourth, now rising fifth grader is reading the, lately she has been reading crack books because she is interested in craft and she's proud of it on her head. Um, and um, there is, and, and when I look at her, I think, okay, this is what she should be reading because it's relevant to her and it's her choice. But then I push up against this part of me that's like, no, you should be reading something of more literary value. You should be right. reading Little Women or you should be reading Charlotte's Web or something, you know, around the Black Lives Matter movement. And instead she's reading like these, I think they're kind of crappy books. Um, <laughs> the worst thing I can do as a parent is to give, um, so I think we need to follow our kids and let them choose whatever's relevant to them and whatever's engaging to them and whatever is their choice. And I know um, when I've talked to parents recently in this pandemic, a lot of parents have said to me, you know, my fifth grader all of a sudden wants to read picture books and I'm sort of seeing some regression or we're reading the same chapter book that we finished like two years ago. And I think we got to be okay with that. Um, we, I think a lot of kids in this time of stress 
are returning to some of their favorites, those things that used to make them safe and comfortable. For us, the uh, it's the uh, picture book, the Sandra Boynton picture book, Snuggle Puppy, which was something that I was a part of our bedtime routine when my kid was, you know, two and three and four. And we are now reading it again every night when she's 10. And the worst thing I could do as a parent is say, you know, that you're too old for that, or that's not a good book to read. Um, so I think we sort of got to honor where kids are, let them choose and let them read what is relevant to them. So the other thing in our house like probably so many houses, homes out there, um, we have been binge watching Hamilton. And um, as we have been binge watching Hamilton, my daughter has become interested in that historical period. And so I can use that as an opportunity to say, let's go find a book. Let's read the Who Was Hamilton series um, and let, you know, things like that. So it's finding what kids are interested in and then using that as a way to scaffold their independent reading and give them that choice and sort of shutting up our parent voice of what is deemed as worthy to read and what counts <laughs> as a real reading or um, worthwhile reading. Yeah. If you remind me of, um, so my, my sister was, a, a she didn't love reading when she was younger. And when she got into like her teen years, my mom um, said that she, she started reading all these like, you know, teen magazines that are pretty much trash. But, but my mom was like, I don't care. She's reading. So I will buy her all of them. If she's going to read them cover to cover. Great. <laughs> um, so I, um, I applaud my mom for, for doing that without really knowing <laughs> she, she was on the right track. And I, I, I remember um, when I was, you know, eight or 10 or whatever, the whole baby series, babysitters club series came out, which let's be real is not necessarily the most, you know, <laughs> rigorous, but it created a whole generation of readers. And now that it's now a Netflix series, like let's use that as an opportunity um, to encourage reading. So letting go of that judgment. Yeah, for sure. So Molly, what do we like, what do parents do in this? Like when you just talked about like the Hamilton, like, you know, usually it would be like, let's go to the library or like, like, um, you know, I mean, I guess you could, you could order them if you have those resources, but what do, what do parents do for, you know, if there aren't a ton of books at home right now, there's not many options. And like, I, do you have any like specific things that parents could do, even, like, especially to tap into some of that, like, yeah, the babysitter's club, like they're watching it now let's get the books. Like where can we, where can they do that? Yeah. So I will say that public libraries, I think are doing a really amazing job of, um, pivoting and reaching audiences in a new way, not only with digital libraries and audiobooks and stuff, but in my library, you can call ahead and they will literally find the book that you want and put it in a brown paper bag and leave, leave it on a picnic table with your name on it. So, um, you know, as we start to open up a little bit more, I think, um, you know, finding those resources is a, is a huge thing. And I will say that I have been totally amazed um, by the generosity of children's book authors, of children's book publishers, of sort of public figures, sports people and celebrities and movie stars and all of that, that are um, taking to social media and providing read-alouds. Um, and um, I know that when my, when things looked like they were about to shudder, um, I was that crazy parent that went on social media and this was, gosh, mid-March, floating around social media was that color coordinated calendar that was like, all right, at 920, we're going to have morning movement at 945, <laughs> we're going to have arts and, you know, 
I actually, I laminated it. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say <laughs> um, <laughs> my daughter jokes with me and she's like, yeah, we made it through like a day and a half of that uh, because it was very quickly recycled. Um, but what we did stick to was a schedule of um, read alouds or of a literacy event. And that's the other thing I think that we need to think through and give ourselves a little bit more credit and encourage is that when we look at the definition of literacy, literacy is reading, writing, speaking, listening. So mm-hmm. if you are a parent who at dinner or as you're cooking is, is, is talking a lot and is telling the story of here's how I make great grandma's lasagna. I'm going to talk you through that. And I'm going to give the oral history of great grandma or what have you. You're engaging in a literacy activity. So that talk is just as powerful. And um, when I say this, I, I, I remind parents that um, that talk can be in whatever language is comfortable with, with them. I often get asked, is it okay to read to my child in my native language or to speak to my child in my native language? That is a huge part of literacy. And so um, all of that talk, even if with your you know, one-year-old in the bathtub as you're talking to them about, I'm going to make sure the soap is out of your eyes and rinse it, that, that's literacy. And so engaging in, in those activities around speaking and listening is just as much building your child as a, as a, a, as a reader as that read aloud snuggled in your lap before bedtime. Yeah, that's such a great point, Molly. It's, I mean, and to really think about, you know, parents that just might not be have the access or time to get to the library or do those kinds of things that, you know, it, it, you can still be doing something with your child is super helpful. I mean, yeah. One of the things things that I did um, with my daughter and I recommend, and I I often suggest this um, when I'm working in low in, in communities that have a high population of um, English language learners, as well as low income families. Um, We will, we'll do literacy activities around the catalogs and magazines that come to us in the mail. So, you know, my, I I open up my mailbox and there's so much junk mail, Mm -hmm. coupons and all that stuff. Well, we can make a whole literacy activity around that. And so that's um, another way to, you know, we can make an alphabet book around that, or we could just cut out pictures and write or tell a picture around the, that, scenario that we see in the glossy pages of a catalog or magazine. So I think that um, there are ways to develop readers beyond just the traditional, what we think of, um, which for many people isn't the reality because of access and because of issues of equity and such and language backgrounds and all of those, all of those real challenges. Yeah. And you made me think, I think we've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast is that I think sometimes I, I don't know. I'm guessing, hypothesizing that some parents might think like, especially now, like I have to teach them reading or teach them how to read. Um, so these things you're talking about are just sparking in me this like, just doing these things with them, just talking to them, just, you know, reading about whatever comes in the mail, those kinds of things are still so valuable that you don't have to feel like you're doing a lesson about <laughs> something with them. Um, and I think that's really powerful for parents to know that all these little yeah. things really add up. <clears throat> yeah, one of the things that um, 
as, as much as I say that the, the color-coded schedule um, of my child during this COVID crisis, like that went quickly to the wayside. And we did not take any virtual tours of the Louvre <laughs> or Machu Picchu or any of those things. But what we did do, which has worked well, is um, I gave my daughter the opportunity to create a passion project. And a passion project is... Um, self-directed. It is a chance for a kid to choose something that they're really interested and learn about it and create a product around it that is of interest to them. So my daughter was really interested in um, Elon Musk and the sending the rocket to the International Space Station, which is not of interest at all to me. I think, (laughs) Um, But she was super into that. And so it turned into, okay, well then let's watch the movie Apollo 11, Apollo 13 and then we watched the movie Hidden Figures and she went on a passion project all about rockets and space and because she's old enough I was able to say what are you going to create what's your product going to be and she wanted to create a PowerPoint because it was something her fourth grade teacher had taught her to do and she went off and without needing me to do a whole lot of hand-holding she was able to I to start and create this stuff. And um, there was a little bit of prep for me. So for example, I said, well, the, air, the the website from the National Air and Space Museum would be a great place to start. So getting her there, but then she could go off in so many directions. And what she found and what we both found in this experience was that her passion project led her to another area of interest where she would sort of say, um, okay, I didn't think this was going to come up, but now I'm really interested in it. And actually now in our refrigerator, we have a list of all the things that she's interested in. And we're always adding to that list of potentially next topics for her passion project. So she is, um, she is a, a, both of us really like dogs and she wants to do a passion project about dogs. And, you know, we'll see what she creates. Maybe it's a, <laughs> a puppet show where she, you know, makes paper bag puppets out of dogs and that's a literacy activity um, yeah. and an academic activity that frankly frees up a little bit of time for me to be able to answer the 9 million emails in my inbox, <laughs> uh, but also lets me be like, okay, she is doing something that is quote unquote learning or worthwhile right. or what have you. Right. Oh, and you know, my, what, how old is your daughter? You said nine? She is 10. 10 now. Um, Cause I mean, Elliot, again, one and a half. Um, but even I found during this, like, I mean, he's not gonna have a passion project. <laughs> like, I can't, it's not gonna be the same, but we had, um, uh, some construction going on outside of our house this, this summer, which was great entertainment during a quarantine <laughs> for a, a two-year-old boy. Um, and not shocking. He just was like in awe of these big trucks and all they did. But like, I started just talking to him about like a dump truck versus an excavator and then, he would pick up, we have a book called Little Excavator. And like he would, that's like the first book he picks up now because I think he's making those connections, right? With what he's seeing outside, he's seeing it there. Um, so then we watched this, like, I feel like it's kind of silly show, but called Stinky and Dirty that's also about trucks. And like, so I could see him too making those, like, I think that like, it was clearly something he was like, whoa, I'm passionate about this. And now I can connect it to these other, um, you know, areas of, of literacy, <laughs> um, even at, at that age. Yeah. No, I remember similarly at when my daughter was three, we had a winter that, um, we just, it kept snowing and kept snowing and 
we watched the snowplows and she asked questions about snowplows and we went and got every book at the library about snowplows, which there are actually many books about snowplows. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> is, I think it really is tapping into what your kids are naturally gravitating towards and with, you know, holding back your parent judgment and like, yeah, it may not be interesting for us to sit and watch the, you know, the snowplow go by or Minecraft <laughs> is like, I'd rather, you know, rip my stick a fork in my eyeball, but um, <laughs> if they use it as a way to engage in a literacy or academic task, then um, that's authentic learning. Yeah, that's so great. I, I mean, I think, thank you for all of that, because I just think it, it, for me, helps me as a parent, and I hope it helps others, like, realize, like, what they can do, what's in their control, what's possible, even in these really tough times <laughs> that can still be so, so super helpful for their kids. Yeah. And the one, um, so I was on social media one day and we had a lot of days in March and April and May that were really, really hard. Um, and my daughter would go on to Google classroom or what have you. And 20 minutes later, she was crying. And it wasn't that she was crying about the academic task. She was crying because of the situation. And there were a lot of days where I would text her teacher who was made herself fabulously available and say like, not happening today, we're closing the computer and we're snuggling. And um, I yeah. think we have to be real in that. And I saw this thing on social media that said, you know, when parenting feels too heavy and the academic stuff feels too heavy, let's meet our kids' socio-emotional needs. And if that is watching Hamilton for the 27th time, which I think we've done now in the <laughs> course of three days, or watching the, the trucks at the window, that we are building our kids, um, we're filling them in a way that they need at that moment and it's going to sustain them long-term. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much, Molly, for all of those <laughs> reminders and hints and everything. Um, is we're just, I mean, if you're okay with it, I'm ready to kind of wrap up. Um, so if you have any last thoughts or we, we always end with a piece of advice, but I feel like you just spent a half hour giving advice to our listeners. But if you have any other advice for parents or, I mean, even that last one was a little bit for teachers, like how teachers can be understanding of what's happening at home. Um, so if you have any, any last piece of advice to leave our listeners with. Or resources. Well, I would resources too. (laughs) Um, So, um, resources. um, The one that I often share with parents is a um, a website called Story Online. I'm going to story. I'm going to mess it up now. Storyonline dot org. Um, and I'll send you it because I'm, I'm sure I'm messing up the name. Um, it is a website put out by the Screen Actors Guild, and it is um, celebrities, politicians, movie stars doing read-alouds. Um, and it's not one of those websites that you have to log in at 12.15 for Kristen Bell on Instagram to do reading. Um, it is a you can click and watch it what, at whatever time. Um, it was my way when my daughter was young and I was home alone with her that I could take a shower and yeah, or know that she was safe. Um, I think it's storyonline.net. Thank you. For my quick Googling. <laughs> I love it. I, I recommend it to kids of, to parents of all ages. Um, so I think that one's really fabulous. And then the, the piece of advice that, um, I would give parents now is one that I wish I took more of my own advice um, 
is that this is hard and none of us, um, there's no right or wrong way to do this um, in terms of not only just parenting in a good day, but parenting <laughs> in a pandemic. Um, yeah, I, I, I think for me, it really helps to, um, to talk with people who admit this, this, this is hard and that there are days that we're getting our butt kicked. And there are days that, um, you know, at five o'clock at night, you're like, that's it. We're eating Frosted Flakes for dinner. I'd rather like hang out with that parent than <laughs> a parent who is like perfected their sourdough bread recipe. Um, <laughs> yeah. How many times have we rescheduled this podcast because something happened to one of us at home? <laughs> so I just think keeping it real um, that we will get through this. There will be an end to this. Um, and so all we can do is do our best in each moment, the good and the bad, um, and know that it, it's hard and yeah. not, not necessarily sugarcoat that all the time. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that. It's hard to remember sometimes when you scroll through Facebook or wherever, whatever you're looking through and see all the <laughs> projects people are doing with their kids and all those things, and you're just like, oh, gosh, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, our kids learn from us and I want to ultimately raise a child who takes, we always talk about self-love um, and empathy as terms that we want adults to embrace. I want to show that to my daughter. And for mm -hmm. me, that is saying to her, I'm having a hard day. And you know what? I didn't answer all the emails that I was hoping I'm, I was going to get to, but what would feel really good right now is going for a walk. So let's do that together. Yeah. Um, I want her to, kids learn from our actions. And so um, I want her to embrace that. So she, she treats herself with that and the people around her. Um, she can be compassionate to another parent down the road who's like, my kid was up crying all night last night. And so I'm late to the meeting. And then my child can say, that's okay. We've all had those days and we've all been there. Absolutely. Yeah, that's like the most important thing right now, I think, for everybody. <laughs> so thank you again, Molly. And we'll link all those amazing resources that you mentioned, as well as your podcast, so that um, people can learn even more about where they can access um, more books or <laughs> anything else. Um, do you want to talk real quick again about where they can find your podcast? So um, I my work is available on whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Um, it's called End Book Deserts. There's a website to it, um, which is endbookdeserts.com. And then my personal website is drdrmollymollyness.com. And a lot of my writing is, uh, is there. Um, and actually in August, actually it might be September of 2020, I have an article coming out in Parents Magazine, which is that magazine you see all over pediatricians office and such yeah. um, about raising readers at home and some home literacy um, tips. So that may be um, engaging and relevant to some of your parents as well. Absolutely. So all of those are on that website. Excellent. We'll link to all of those things. And thank you so much for chatting with us today. And I'm sure we'll chat with you again at some point. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you to you guys and um, keep safe and take care of yourselves and your families. You too. Thank you. Take care. You too. <laughs>